0: Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at SapphirePlanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Napoleon Bonaparte, born August fifteenth, seventeen sixty nine, died May fifth, eighteen twenty one, was a French military and political leader who rose to prominence during the French Revolution and its associated wars. As Napoleon I, he was Emperor of the French from 1804 to 1814, and again in 1815. Napoleon dominated European affairs for nearly two decades while leading France against a series of coalitions in the Revolutionary Wars and the Napoleonic Wars. He won a large majority of his sixty major battles and seized control of most of continental Europe before his ultimate defeat in 1815. One of the greatest commanders in history. His campaigns are studied at military schools worldwide, and he remains one of the most celebrated and controversial political figures in western history. In civil affairs, Napoleon implemented several liberal reforms across Europe, including the abolition of feudalism, the establishment of legal equality and religious toleration, and the legalization of divorce. His lasting legal achievement, the Napoleonic Code, has been adopted by dozens of nations around the world we pick up the story following the Ulm campaign French forces managed to capture Vienna in November the fall of Vienna provided the French a huge bounty as they captured 100,000 muskets 500 cannons and the intact bridges across the Danube. At this critical juncture, both Tsar Alexander I and the Holy Roman Emperor Francis II decided to engage Napoleon in battle despite reservations from some of their subordinates. Napoleon sent his armies north in pursuit of the Allies, but then ordered his forces to retreat so he could feign a grave weakness. Desperate to lure the Allies into battle, Napoleon gave every indication in the days preceding the engagement that the French army was in a pitiful state, even abandoning the dominant Pratzen Heights near the village of Austerlitz. At the Battle of Austerlitz on December 2nd, he deployed the French army below the Pratzen Heights and deliberately weakened his right flank, enticing the Allies to launch a major assault there in the hopes of rolling up the whole French line. A forced march from Vienna by Marshal Davao and his 3rd Corps plugged the gap left by Napoleon just in time. Meanwhile, the heavy Allied deployment against the French White weakened the center on the Pratzen Heights, which was viciously attacked by the 4th Corps of Marshal Stout. With the Allied center demolished, the French swept through both enemy flanks and sent the Allies fleeing chaotically, capturing thousands of prisoners in the process because of the near-perfect execution of a calibrated but dangerous plan. The battle is often seen, often seen as a tactical masterpiece of the same stature as Canaan, Canaan, the celebrated triumph by Hannibal some 2,000 years before. The Allied at Austerlitz significantly shook the faith of the Emperor Francis in the British-led war effort, France and Austria agreed to an armistice immediately and the Treaty of Pressburg followed shortly after, on December 26th. Pressburg took Austria out of both the war and the coalition while reinforcing the earlier treaties of Campo Formio and of Lunéville between the two powers. The treaties confirmed the Austrian loss of lands in Italy and Bavaria to France and in Germany to Napoleon's German allies. It also imposed indemnity of 40 million francs on the defeated Habsburgs and allowed the fleeing Russian troops free passage through hostile territories and back to their home soil. Napoleon would go on to say that the Battle of Austerlitz is the finest of all I have fought. Some suggest Napoleon was so successful at Austerlitz, he lost touch with reality, and what used to be French foreign policy became a personal Napoleonic one. Some historians disagree, stating Napoleon was not overly ambitious for himself, that he embodied the ambition of 30 million Frenchmen. Napoleon continued to entertain a grand scheme to establish French presence in the Middle East in order to put pressure on Britain and Russia and perhaps form an alliance with the Ottoman Empire. In February 1806, the Ottoman Empire Emperor Selman III finally recognized Napoleon as Emperor. He also opted for an alliance with France, calling the latter our sincere and natural ally. The decision to ally with France brought the Ottoman Empire into a losing war against Russia and Britain. A Franco-Persian alliance was also formed between Napoleon and the Persian emperor of Fat Shah Qajar, which collapsed in 1807 when France and Russia themselves formed an unexpected alliance. In the end, Napoleon had made no effective alliances in the Middle East. Now we come on to the Fourth Coalition which is another nice way of saying the Fourth War against Napoleon by a group of other countries. After Austerlitz Napoleon established the Confederation of the Rhine in 1806. A collection of German states intended to serve as a buffer zone between France and Central Europe. The creation of Confederation spelled the end of the Holy Roman Empire. And significantly alarmed Prussians. The brazen reorganization of German territory by the French risked threatening Prussian influence in the region, if not eliminating it outright. War fever in Berlin rose steadily throughout the summer of 1806. At the assistance of his court, especially his wife Queen Louise, Frederick III decided to challenge the French domination of Central Europe by going to war. The initial military maneuvers began in September 1806. In a notable letter to Marshal Salt, detailing the plan for the campaign, Napoleon described the essential features of Napoleonic warfare and introduced the phrase Le Battalion Carré, or Square Battalion. In Battalion Carré systems, the various corps of the Grand Army would march uniformly closer together in close supporting distance. If any single corps was attacked, the others would quickly spring into action and arrive to help. Napoleon invaded Prussia with 180,000 troops, rapidly marching on the right bank of the River Sale. As in previous campaigns, his fundamental objective was to destroy one opponent before reinforcements from another could tip the balance of the war. Upon learning the whereabouts of the Prussian army, the French swung westward and crossed the Saal with overwhelming force. At the twin battles of Jena and Ostradet, fought on October 14th, the French convincingly defeated the Prussians and inflicted heavy casualties. With several major commanders dead or incapacitated, the Prussian king proved Incapable of effectively commanding the army, which began to quickly disintegrate. In a vaunted pursuit that epitomized the peak of Napoleonic warfare, the French managed to capture 140,000 soldiers, over 2,000 cannons, and hundreds of ammunition wagons, all in a single month. No Never has the morale of any army have been more completely shattered. Despite their overwhelming defeat, the Prussians refused to negotiate with the French until the Russians had an opportunity to enter the fight. Following his triumph, Napoleon imposed the first elements of the Continental System through the Berlin Decree issued in November 1806. The Continental System which prohibited European nations from trading with Britain, was widely violated throughout his reign. In the next few months, Napoleon marched against the advancing Russian armies through Poland and was involved in a bloody stalemate at the Battle of Iolu in February 1807. After a period of rest and consolidation on both sides, the war restarted in June with an initial struggle at Heilsberg, that proved indecisive. On June 14th, however, Napoleon finally obtained an overwhelming victory over the Russians at the Battle of Friedland, wiping out the majority of Russian army in a very bloody struggle. The scale of their defeat convinced the Russians to make peace with the French. On June 19th, Tsar Alexander sent an envoy to seek an armistice with Napoleon. The latter assured the envoy that the Vistula River represented the natural borders between French and Russian influences in Europe. On that basis, the two emperors began peace negotiations at the town of Tilsit after meeting in an iconic raft on the river Niemann. The very first thing Alexander said to Napoleon was, probably well calibrated. I hate the English as much as you do. Alexander faced pressure from his brother, Duke Constantine to make peace with Napoleon. Given the victory he had just achieved, the French emperor offered the Russians relatively lenient terms, demanding that Russians join the continental system, withdraw its forces from Wallachia and Moldovia, and hand over the Ionian Islands to France. By contrast, Napoleon dictated very harsh peace terms for Prussia. Despite the ceaseless exhortations of Queen Louise, Wiping out half of Prussian territories from the map, Napoleon created a new kingdom of 1,100 square miles called Westphalia. He then appointed his young brother, Jerome, as the new monarch of his kingdom. Prussia's humiliating treatment at Tilsit caused a deep and bitter antagonism, which festered as the Napoleonic era progressed. Moreover, Alexander's pretension at friendship with Napoleon led to the latter to seriously misjudge the true intentions of his Russian counterpart, who would violate numerous provisions of the treaty in the next few years. Despite these problems, the Treaty of Tilsit at last gave Napoleon a respite from war and allowed him to return to France, for which he had not seen in over 300 days. The settlements at Tilsit gave Napoleon time to organize his empire. One of his major objectives became enforcing the continental system against the British. Remember, this is a British blockade. They're trying to um, starve the British throughout all of Europe by no trade. He decided to focus his attention on the Kingdom of Portugal, which consistently violated his trade prohibitions. After defeat in the War of Oranges in 1801... Portugal adopted a double-sided policy. At first, John VI agreed to close his ports to British trade. The situation changed dramatically after the Franco-Spanish defeat at Trafalgar. John grew bolder and officially resumed diplomatic and trade relations with Britain. Unhappy with his change of policy by the Portuguese government, Napoleon sent an army to invade Portugal. On October 17, 1807, 24,000 French troops under General Junot crossed the Pyrenees with Spanish cooperation and headed towards Portugal to enforce Napoleon's orders. This attack was the first step in what eventually became the Peninsular War. A six-year struggle that significantly sapped French strength. Throughout the winter of 1808, French agents became increasingly involved in Spanish internal affairs attempting to incite discord between the man- members of the Spanish royal family. On February 16, 1808, secret French machinations finally materialized when Napoleon announced that he would intervene to mediate between the rival political factions in the country. Marshal Marat led 120,000 troops into Spain, and the French arrived in Madrid on March 24th where wild riots against the occupation erupted just a few weeks later. Napoleon appointed his brother, Joseph Bonaparte, as the new king of Spain in the summer of 1808. The appointment enraged, enraged a heavily religious and conservative Spanish population. Resistance to French aggression soon spread out through the country. The shocking French defeat at the Battle of Bélin in July gave hope to Napoleon's enemies, and partly persuaded the French Emperor to intervene in person. Before going to Iberia, Napoleon decided to address several lingering issues with the Russians. At the Congress of Erfurt in October 1808, Napoleon hoped to keep Russia on his side during the upcoming struggle in Spain and during any potential conflict against Austria. The two sides reached an agreement in the Erfurt Convention and called upon Britain to cease its war against France that recognized the Russian conquest of Finland from Sweden and affirmed Russian support for France in a possible war against Austria to its best of its abilities. Napoleon then returned to France and prepared for war. The Grand Army, under the Emperor's personal command, rapidly crossed the Ebro River in November 1808 and inflicted a series of crushing defeats against the Spanish forces. After clearing the last Spanish force, Guarding the capital of Somerseria, Napoleon entered Madrid on December 4th with 80,000 troops. He then unleashed his soldiers against Moore and the British forces. The British were swiftly driven to the coast and they withdrew from Spain entirely after a last stand at the Battle of Quirinium in January 1809. Napoleon would end up leaving Iberia in order to deal with the Austrians in Central Europe. But the Peninsular War continued on long after his absence. He never returned to Spain after the 1808 campaign. Several months after Corona, the British sent another army to the peninsula under the future Duke of Wellington. The war then settled into a complex and asymmetric strategic dreadlock where all sides struggled to gain an upper hand. The highlight of the conflict became the brutal guerrilla warfare that engulfed much of the Spanish countryside. Both sides committed the worst atrocities of the Napoleonic Wars during this phase of the conflict. The various guerrilla fighting in Spain, largely absent from the French campaign in Central Europe, severely disrupted the French lines of supply and communication. Although France maintained roughly 300,000 troops in Iberia during the Peninsular War, the vast majority were tied down to garrison duty and to intelligence operations. The French were never able to concentrate all their forces effectively, prolonging the war until events elsewhere in Europe finally turned the tide in the favor of the allies. After the invasion of Russia in 1812, the number of French troops in Spain vastly declined as Napoleon needed reinforcements to conserve his strategic position in Europe. By 1814, after scores of battles and sieges throughout Iberia, the allies had managed to push the French out of the peninsula. Now we come to the War of the Fifth Coalition. Remember, there are six coalitions in Napoleon's lifetime that did battle with him. After four years on the sideline, Austria sought another war with France to avenge its recent defeat. Austria could not count on Russian support because the latter was at war with Britain, Sweden, and the Ottoman Empire in 1809. Frederick William of Prussia initially promised to help the Austrians, but reneged before the conflict began. A report from the Austrian finance minister suggests that the Treasury would run out of money by the middle of 1809 if the large army that the Austrians had formed since the Third Coalition remained mobilized. Although Archduke Charles warned that the Austrians were not ready for another showdown with Napoleon, a stance that landed him in the so-called Peace Party, he did not want to see the army demobilized either. On February 8, 1809, the advocates for war finally succeeded when the imperial government secretly decided on another confrontation against the French. In the early morning of April 10th, leading elements of the Austrian army crossed the Inn River and invaded Bavaria. The early Austrian attack surprised the French. Napoleon himself was still in Paris when he heard about the invasion. He arrived on the 17th to find the Grand Army in a dangerous position. With its two wings separated by 75 miles or 121 kilometers and joined together by a thin cordon of Bavarian troops, Charles pressed the left wing of the French army and hurled his men towards the 3rd Corps of Marshal de In response, Napoleon came up with a plan to cut off the Austrians in the celebrated Landshut Maneuver. He realigned the axis of an army and marched his soldiers towards the town of Eckmühl. The French scored a convincing win in the resulting Battle, battle of Eckmühl, forcing Charles to withdraw his forces over the Danube and into Bohemia. On May 13th, Vienna fell for a second time in four years, although the war continued since most of Austrian army had survived the initial engagements in southern Germany. By May 17th, the main Austrian army under Charles had arrived at the Marchfield. Charles kept the bulk of his troops several miles away from the riverbank in hopes of concentrating them at the point where Napoleon decided to cross. On May 21st, the French made their first major effort to cross the Danube, precipitating the Battle of Aspergesling. The Austrians enjoyed a comfortable numerical superiority over the French throughout the battle. On the first day, Charles disposed of 110 soldiers, 110,000 soldiers against only 31,000 soldiers commanded by Napoleon. But by the second day, reinforcements had boosted the French numbers up to 70,000. The battle was characterized by a vicious back-and-forth struggle for the two villages of Aspern and Essling, the focal points of the French bridgehead. By the end of the fighting, the French had lost Aspen, but still controlling Essling. A sustained Austrian artillery bombardment eventually convinced Napoleon to withdraw his forces back into Lobo Island. Both sides inflicted about 23,000 casualties to each other. It was the first defeat Napoleon suffered in a major set-piece battle, and it caused excitement throughout many parts of Europe because it proved that Napoleon could be beaten in battle. After the setback at Aspern-Essling, Napoleon took more than six weeks in planning and preparing for contingencies before he made another attempt at crossing the Danube. From June 30th to the early days of July, the French recrossed the Danube in strength with more than 180,000 troops marching across the march fields towards the Austrians. Charles received the French with 150,000 of his own men. In the ensuing Battle of Wagram, which also lasted two days, Napoleon commanded his forces in what was the largest battle of his career up until then. Neither side made much progress on July 5th, but the 6th of July produced a definitive outcome. Both sides launched major assaults on their flanks. Austrian attacks against the French left wing looked dangerous initially, but they were all beaten back. Meanwhile, a steady French attack against the Austrian left wing eventually compromised the entire position for Charles. Napoleon finished off the battle with a concentrated central thrust that punched a hole in the Austrian army and forced Charles to retreat. Austrian losses were very heavy, reaching well over 40,000 casualties. The French were too exhausted to pursue the Austrians immediately, but Napoleon eventually caught up with Charles at Zanim and later signed the armistice on July 12th. In the Kingdom of Holland, the British launched the Walcheren Campaign to open up a second front in the war and to relieve the pressure on the Austrians. The British army only landed at Walcheren on July 30th, by which point the Austrians had already been defeated. The Walcheren Campaign was characterized by little fighting but heavy casualties, thanks to the popularly dubbed Walcheren fever. Over 4,000 British troops were lost in a bungled campaign and the rest withdrew in December 1809. The main strategic result from the campaign became the delayed political settlement between the French and the Austrians. Emperor Francis wanted to wait and see how the British performed in the theater before entering into negotiations with Napoleon. Once it became apparent that the British were going nowhere, the Austrians agreed to peace talks. The resulting Treaty of Schrambrunn in October 1809 was the harshest that France had imposed on Austria in recent memory. Metternich and Archduke Charles had the preservation of the Hamburg Empire as their fundamental goal, and to this end they succeeded by making Napoleon seek more modest goals in return for promises of friendship between the two powers. Nevertheless, while most of the hereditary lands remained part of the Habsburg realm, France received Carthenia. Carnola and the Adriatic ports, while Gallica was given to the Poles and the Salzburg area of the Tyrol went to Bavarians. Austria lost over 3 million subjects, or about one-fifth of her total population, as a result of these territorial changes. Although fighting in Iberia continued, the war of the Fifth Coalition would be the last major conflict on the European continent for the next three years. Napoleon turned his focus to domestic affairs after the war. Empress Josephine had still not given birth to a child for Napoleon, who became worried about the future of his empire following his death. Desperate for legitimate heir, Napoleon divorced Josephine in January 1810, and started looking for a new wife, hoping to cement the recent alliance with Austria through a family connection. Napoleon married the Archduke Archduchess Marie Louise, who was 18 years old at the time. On March twentieth, 1811, Marie Louise gave birth to a baby boy whom Napoleon made her apparent and bestowed the title of King of Rome. His son never actually ruled the empire, but historians still refer to him as Napoleon II. The Congress of Erfurt sought to preserve the Russian French alliance and the leaders had a friendly personal relationship after their first meeting at Tilsit in 1807 but by 1811 however tensions had increased and Alexander was under pressure from the Russian nobility to break off the alliance. An early sign the relationship had deteriorated was the Russians virtual abandonment of the continental system which led to Napoleon to threaten Alexander with serious consequences if he formed an alliance with Britain in 1812, advisors to Alexander suggested the possibility of an invasion of the French Empire and the recapture of Poland. On receipt of intelligence reports on Russians' war preparations, Napoleon expanded his Grand Army to more than 450,000 men. He ignored repeated advances, advice against an invasion of the Russian heartlands and prepared for an offensive campaign on June 23, 1812. In an attempt to gain increased support from Polish nationalists and patriots, Napoleon termed the war the Second Polish War. The First Polish War had been the Bar Confederation uprising by the Polish nobles against Russia in 1768. Polish patriots wanted the Russians part of Poland to be joined with the Duchy of Warsaw, an independent Poland created. This was rejected by Napoleon, who stated that he had promised his ally Austria this would not happen. Napoleon refused to manumit the Russian serfs because of the concerns that this might provoke a reaction in his army's rear. This was a terrible mistake. The serfs later committed atrocities against the French soldiers during France's retreat from Russia. The Russians avoided Napoleon's objective of decisive engagement, and instead retreated deeper into Russia. A brief attempt at resistance was made at Smolsek in August, where the Russians were defeated in a series of battles and Napoleon resumed his advance. The Russians again avoided battle, although in a few cases it was only achieved because Napoleon uncharacteristically hesitated to attack when an opportunity arose. Owing the Russians' army scorched earth tactics, which means that they, as they gave up gra- ground, they would torch villages torch farms torch barns there would be nothing left the French found it increasingly difficult to forage for food for themselves and their horses normally in those days when an army took over a part of land they took over the farms and that's how they fed themselves there was no such thing as a supply line from Paris to Russia the Russians eventually offered battle outside Moscow on September 7th. The Battle of Borodino resulted in approximately 44,000 Russians and 35,000 French dead, wounded or captured, and may have been the bloodiest day of battle in history up to that point in time. Although the French had won, the Russian army had accepted and withstood the major battle with Napoleon had hoped would be decisive. Napoleon's own account was The most terrible of all my battles was the one before Moscow. The French showed themselves to be worthy of victory, but the Russians showed themselves worthy of being invincible. The Russian army withdrew and retreated past Moscow. Napoleon entered the city assuming its fall would end the war with Alexander and Alexander would negotiate peace. However, on orders of the city government, Fyodor Rupshkin, rather than capitulation, Moscow was burned. After five weeks, Napoleon and his army left Moscow. Early November, Napoleon got concerned about loss of control back in France after the Malou coup of 1812. His army walked through the snow up until their knees and nearly 10,000 men and horses froze to death On the night of November 8th alone. After the Battle of Brzezina, Napoleon succeeded to escape, but had to abandon much of his remaining artillery and baggage train. On December 5th, shortly before arriving in Vilnius, Napoleon left the army in a sledge. The French suffered greatly in the course of its ruinous retreat, including from the harshness of the Russian winter. The army had begun with over 400,000 frontline troops, but in the end, fewer than 40,000 crossed the Buryaniza River in November 1812. The Russians had lost 150,000 in battle, and the rest, which were hundreds of thousands, to the elements and to starvation. And there was also thousands of civilians killed on top of that. So he went in with 400,000, came out with 40,000. After trying to attack Russia, he lost 90% of his army to death. Finally, we get to the War of the Sixth Coalition. This is the final war that Napoleon fought against a of other countries. There was a lull in the fighting over the winter of 1812 1813 while both the Russians and the French rebuilt their forces. Napoleon was then able to field 350,000 troops. Heartened by France's losses in Russia, Prussia joined in with Austria, Sweden, Russia, Great Britain, Spain, and Portugal in a new coalition. Napoleon assumed command of Germany and inflicted a series of defeats on the coalition culminating in the Battle of Dresden in August of 1813. Despite these successes, the numbers continued to mount against Napoleon, and the French army was pinned down by his force twice its size, and lost at the Battle of Letzbyg. This, by far, was the largest battle of the Napoleonic Wars, and cost more than 90,000 casualties in total. The Allies offered peace terms in the Frankfurt proposals in November of 1813, Napoleon would remain in Europe as the Emperor of France, but would reduce it to its natural frontiers. That meant that France could retain control of Belgium, Savoy, and the Rhineland, which is the west bank of the Rhine River, while giving up control of the rest, including all of Spain and the Netherlands, and most of Italy and Germany. Metternich told Napoleon that these were the best terms the Allies were likely to offer. After further victories, the terms would be harsher and harsher. Maderich's motivation was to maintain France as a balance against Russian threats while ending the highly destabilizing series of wars. Napoleon, expecting to win the war, delayed too long and lost this opportunity. By December, the Allies had withdrawn the offer. When his back was to the Wall of 1814, he tried to reopen priest negotiations on the basis of accepting the Frankfurt proposals. The Allies now had begun new, harsher terms that included the retreat of France to the 1791 boundaries, which meant the loss of Belgium. Napoleon would remain emperor, however. He rejected this term. The British wanted Napoleon permanently removed. They propelled. Napoleon adamantly refused. Napoleon withdrew back into France, his army reduced to 70,000 soldiers, from the 350,000 he started with, and little cavalry. He faced more than three times as many Allied troops. The French were surrounded. British armies pressed from the south, and other coalition forces positioned to attack from the German state. Napoleon won a series of victories in the six-day campaign, though these were not significant enough to turn the tide. The leaders of Paris surrendered to the coalition on March 1814. On April 1st, Alexander addressed the Senate conservator, long docile to Napoleon under Talleyrand's prodding. It had turned against him. Alexander told the Senate that the Allies were fighting against Napoleon, not France, and they were prepared to offer honorable peace terms if Napoleon were removed from power. The next day, the Senate passed the Act de Chance de l'Empereur, or the Emperor's Demise Act which declared Napoleon deposed. Napoleon had advanced as far as the Fontainebleau when he learned that Paris was lost. When Napoleon proposed the army march on the capital, his senior officers and marshals mutinied. On April 4th, led by Ney, they confronted Napoleon. Napoleon asserted the army would follow him, and Ney replied the army would follow its generals. While the ordinary soldiers and regimental officers wanted to fight on without any senior officers or marshals, any prospective invasion of Paris would have been impossible. Bowing to the inevitable, on April 4th, Napoleon abdicted in favor of his son with Marie-Louise as regent. However, the Allies refused to accept this under the prodding from Alexander who feared that Napoleon might find an excuse to retake the throne. Napoleon was then forced to announce his unconditional abdication only two days later. In the Treaty of Fontainebleau, the victors exiled him to Elba, an island of 12,000 inhabitants in the Mediterranean, 20 kilometers or 12 miles off the Tuscan coast. They gave him sovereignty over the island and allowed him to retain his title of emperor. Napoleon attempted suicide with a pill he carried since a near capture by Russians on the retreat from Moscow. Its potency had weakened with age, and he survived to be exiled while his wife and son took refuge in Austria. In the first few months on the Elba, he created a small navy and army, developed the iron mines, and issued decrees on modern agricultural methods Separated from his wife and son who returned to Austria cut off from the allowance guaranteed to him by the Treaty of Fountain and aware of rumors that he was about to be banished to a remote island in the Atlantic Ocean Napoleon escaped from Elba in the ship Swiftser on February 26, 1815 He landed at Gulf Juan on the French mainland two days later the 5th Regiment was sent to intercept him and made contact just south of Chernobyl on March 7, 1815. Napoleon approached his, the regiment alone, dismounted his horse, and when he was within gunshot range, shouted, Here I am. Kill your emperor if you wish. The soldiers responded with, "Vive l'Emperor! and marched with Napoleon to Paris. Louis XVIII fled On March 13th, the powers at the Congress of Vienna declared Napoleon an outlaw, and four days later, Great Britain, Russia, Austria, and Prussia bound themselves to each put 150,000 men into the field to end his rule. Napoleon arrived in Paris on March 20th and governed for a period now called the Hundred Days. By the start of June, the armed forces available to him had reached 200,000, and he decided to go on the offense to attempt to drive a wedge between the oncoming British and Prussian armies. The French Army of the North crossed the frontier into the United Kingdom of the Netherlands in modern-day Belgium. Napoleon's forces fought the Allies, led by the Duke of Wellington and Gebhard Lechbrecht von Blücher at the Battle of Waterloo on June 18, 1815. Wellington's army withstood repeated attacks by the French and drove them from the field, while the Prussians arrived in force and broke through Napoleon's right flank. Napoleon returned to Paris and found that both the legislator and the people had turned violently on him. Realizing his position was untenable, he abdicated on June 27th in favor of his son. He left Paris three days later and settled at Josephine's former home in Malmaison. Coalition's forces swept into France soon afterwards, intent on restoring Louis XVIII to the French throne. When Napoleon got word that Prussian troops had ordered to capture him dead or alive, he fled to Rochefort, considered an escape to the United States. However, British ships were blocking every port. Finally, Napoleon demanded asylum from the British captain Frederick Maitland on HMS Belafron on July 15, 1815. Britain kept Napoleon on the island of St. Helena in the Atlantic Ocean, 1,800 kilometers or 1,100 miles from the west coast of Africa. Napoleon was moved to the Longwood House on December 1815. It had fallen into disrepair, and the location was damped, windswept, and unhealthy. The Times published articles insinuating the British government was trying to hasten his death, and he often complained of living conditions in letters to the governor and his custodian, Hudson Lowe With a small cadre of followers Napoleon dictated his memoirs and grumbled about conditions Lowe cut Napoleon's expenditures ruled that no gifts were allowed if they mentioned his imperial status made his supporters sign a guarantee they would stay with the prisoner indefinitely There were rumors of plots and even escape but in reality no serious attempts were made For English poet Lord Byron, Napoleon was the epitome of the romantic hero, the persecuted, lonely, and flawed genius. His personal physician, Barry O'Meara, warned London that his declining state of health was mainly caused by the harsh treatment. Napoleon confined himself for months on end in his damp and wretched habitation, Longwood. In February 1821, Napoleon's health began to deteriorate rapidly. He reconciled with the Catholic Church. He died May 5, 1821, after confession, extreme unification, and viterium in the presence of Father Angie Viganali. His last words were France, l'armée, tete, l'armée, Josephine, or France, army, head of the army, Josephine. Napoleon's original death mass was created around May 6th, although it was not clear which doctor created. In his will, he had asked to be buried on the banks of the Seine, but the British governor said he should be buried on St. Helena, in the Valley of the Willows. In 1840, Louis Philippe I obtained permission from the British to return Napoleon's remains to France. On December 15, 1840, a state funeral was held. The hearse proceeded from the Arc de Triomphe down to Champs-Elysees, across the Palace de Concorde to the Espandla de Invalides, and then to the cupola at the St. Jerome's Chapel, where it remained until the tomb designed by Louis Visconti was completed. In, 19, excuse me, in 1861, Napoleon remains were entombed in a sarcophagus in the crypt under the dome at Les Invalides. The cause of his death has been debated. Napoleon's physician, Francisco Carlo Antomaracci, led the autopsy, which found the cause of death to be stomach cancer. Antomaracci did not, however, sign the official report. Napoleon's father had died of stomach cancer, although it was seemingly unknown at the time of his autopsy. Ottomarachi found evidence of stomach ulcer. This was the most convenient explanation of the British, who wanted to avoid criticisms over their care of Napoleon. Napoleon's baptism took place in Argeso, In July 21st, 1771. He was piously raised as a Catholic but never developed much faith. As an adult, Napoleon was a deist and showed more interest in Mohammed than in Jesus. Napoleon's deity was an absent and distant God. However, he had a keen appreciation of the power of organized religion in social and political affairs and paid a great deal of attention to bending its purposes to his purposes he noted the influence of Catholicism's rituals and splendors. Napoleon had a civil marriage with Josephine de Beauharnais without religious ceremony. During the campaign in Egypt, Napoleon showed much tolerance towards religion for a revolutionary general, holding discussions with Muslim scholars and ordering religious celebrations. But General Dupe, who accompanied Napoleon, revealed shortly after Pope Pius VI's death, the political regions for such behavior. We are fooling Egyptians with our pretend interest for their religion. Neither Napoleon nor we believe in this religion more than we did in pious and the Defunct Ones. In his memoirs, Bonaparte's secretary, Maureen, wrote about Napoleon's religious interest in the same vein. His religious opportunism is epitomized by his famous quote, It is by making myself Catholic that I brought peace to Brittany and Vendee. It was by making myself Italian that I won mines in Italy. It was by making myself a Muslim that I established myself in Egypt. If I govern a nation of Jews, I should re-establish the Temple of Solomon. However, according to Juan Coles, Bonaparte's admiration for the Prophet Muhammad, in contrast, was genuine, and during his captivity on St. Helena, he defended himself against Votar's critical play, Mohammed. Historians agree that Napoleon's remarkable personality was one key to his influence. They emphasized the strength of his ambition that took him from an obscure village to command most of Europe. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the sapphire planet.